So our topic this week from the book of Genesis, chapter 21, Abraham and Ishmael, or another title could be Cast Out the Bondwoman, uh, or the Law, or the Gospel, either way, in Galatians. And I believe this is a very significant message, very significant portion of the Bible. I don't know how many uh, sermons there are on Abraham and Ishmael in this particular uh, story of, of Ishmael having to leave Abraham's uh, house, but it is very, very significant uh, in the Bible and to our lives. And that's what we're uh, planning on, on seeing as we go through this. Okay, so let's go to uh, verse 2. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Abraham called the name of his son who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And we covered that in previous sermons. And if you missed any of those, uh, you can go to shalomadventure.com and see all the earlier sermons. Verse 8. Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. I'm sure at 90 years old, Sarah was very happy for this day. <laughs> Maybe it was 93 or so by now, right? So she is very happy that this day has finally arrived. She was very excited to have a kid, and then after having a kid, she was very happy to have him at least weaned, and then, you know, at each stage along the way of moving along. And so one more burden off of her. Right? And so they have a great feast because of it. I don't know, that's good. do we still do that? Is there still parties for weaning days, right? Do we still do that in our society? No, maybe we should, right? I guess maybe because we use bottles, right? So it's not such a big deal anymore. But anyway, uh, they had a big feast over weaning day for little Isaac. And everybody was happy and joyful and enjoying the time. And then verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had bore to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely Isaac. Now Sarah has kicked Hagar out once before, something like 16 years before this. All right, so here's uh, Ishmael, he's around 16 years old at this point. And there he is, and he's jealous, no doubt, of this celebration for uh, Isaac. And maybe they didn't have a celebration for him, I don't know. But, um, but here he is for many years, anticipating on getting the inheritance, for many years being the only son. And then for the last three years, he's been now uh, second fiddle. And, uh, and now he is manifesting and demonstrating his jealousy by scoffing at young Isaac. And that is more than Sarah can handle. And so she goes to Abraham and says, cast out this bondwoman and her son. No doubt Hagar was participating in this scoffing as well and jealous as well. And so a fight for attention, Abraham's attention. And this is why you don't want more than one spouse. Right? So <laughs> it's not a good idea. Right? The Bible has given us plenty of demonstrations that it does not work out very well. Right? So, Verse 11, the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I'll also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. That is very interesting. So Abraham, he's disappointed. Abraham has become attached to Ishmael, and he loves Ishmael. And, uh, and so he's, he's very concerned. Uh, what should I do? Should I listen to Sarah, my wife, uh, and keep harmony in the home? Uh, or should I show attachment to my son? Um, and keep him here. Who, who do I listen to? So God steps in and God tells him what to do. And it's interesting that God does not mention Hagar's name or Ishmael's name. First to him as the lad and the bondwoman. The bondwoman and the son. Or the son of the bondwoman. Um, because he is your seed. So he does not want to attach Abraham any more than he already is to this bondwoman and this son. He, God just kind of refers to him, kind of, again, 
second-handedly, just as that woman, that bond woman, and that son, that lad, that young man, uh, and not by name. And, uh, and yet, so yes, cast him out. Cast out this bond woman. Listen to Sarah. Should have never had that child with her to begin with. <laughs> but uh, God brought Hagar back and Ishmael back when Sarah cast them out the first time. Uh, but this time, God says, no, no, cast them out. Let them go. Uh, but knowing Abraham's heart, knowing Abraham's worry and fear, God says, don't worry, but I'll make a, uh, a nation of him as well. And, uh, and that's... Uh, it was a problem for many, many years, the Ishmaelite nation, the, uh, the children that came out of that. Um, and it might be now today uh, what we have as Islam and, uh, and the, that whole uh, religion had, that has caused many, many problems and still today uh, very warlike as we read when Ishmael was born, that he'd be war against everyone. Um, now, whether it's an actual genealogy, actually bloodline, I don't know. I don't know. I think that'd be pretty hard to, to, to prove and demonstrate with uh, Babylon coming in and then so many wars and you had um, you know, Persia and Greece and Rome and, and oh, down through the ages, so many different warring factions and people dispersed. I mean, the Moabites aren't around anymore. The Edomites aren't around anymore. Um, the uh, Ammonites, so many other groups aren't around anymore. Um, Babylonians aren't around anymore. So to say whether there's direct descendants when people were brought in and moved in, um, I don't necessarily know, but, they, uh, but that's what the claim goes back to Ishmael, and it might, I don't know. But here God's saying, cast her out, but I'm still going to make a nation out of him. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So she's off. Abraham at least gives her some water, take with her and some bread. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. And she lifted her voice and wept. So he's just dehydrated, weak, just passes out under the shade of this shrub, and, uh, and he's dying. And somehow she has more strength than him, even though he's 16 years old. But um, he's, 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 he's going down, and she knows it. And she doesn't want to see him uh, die that way. And so she steps off to the side and... Uh, distance away from her son and you know I don't know if any of us have been in that kind of position if you could even imagine yourself and your child and watching your child literally um, dehydrate starve to death um, in front of you would uh, must have been very very traumatic and very trying and so she lifts her voice and she's weeping and God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad. Where he is, arise, lift up your lad, hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Now, great not necessarily in great, good great, but great in big great, right? Mighty, uh, uh, known, renowned, renowned. Uh, nation. And he did. And so twice here it says that God heard the voice of the lad. The verse just before, the slide just before, it said that she, Hagar, lifted up her voice and cried. But God didn't hear that. And so maybe she wasn't crying out to God. Maybe she was crying out to some Egyptian gods, or maybe she was just crying out. Uh, but God hears the voice of Ishmael. God hears the voice of the lad. And so maybe Ishmael was thinking of what he had learned in 16 years under Abraham's hand of the God of the creator of the universe, the almighty God, the everlasting God, the invisible God. And he cried out to him, maybe not even having enough breath 
and strength to even cry out, because it doesn't mention the lad crying out, maybe he's just crying out in his heart. But God heard him, heard his cry, and God answered. And God steps in. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and lifted the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So when did this spring of water show up? Was it there all along? Or did God miraculously just bring it? But she sees it either way, and I don't know, but she sees it when her eyes are opened, right? And if we will open our eyes, or like Abraham, when he lifted up his eyes, that's when he saw the place to sacrifice Isaac afar off. He lifted up his eyes, and that's when he saw the ram caught in the bush. It's when we lift our eyes up, when we lift our eyes up off of our problems, away from our problems, and lift them up to the Lord, and trust in him that our deliverance comes. And we're able to see the provision that God has already made for us. And so he opens her eyes, she sees the well, sees the water, sees the spring, and she gives the lad some water. Verse 20, God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness. He became an archer and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. She was Egyptian, so she goes and gets a wife for him from Egypt. And, uh, and God uh, blesses this lad and so the mercy of God, we see the mercy of God upon Abraham and Abraham's descendants and upon Ishmael. And this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, who Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, born to Abraham, the firstborn of Ishmael, and then it goes through a whole bunch of names that I can't read, so I've skipped it. Um, Twelve princes according to their nations. Ishmael lived 137 years and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. So 12 children he has, 12 sons anyway, that he has. Very interesting. Kind of like a counterfeit, right? To the 12 tribes of Jacob, of Israel. And uh, God made it, as he promised, a large nation, a mighty nation. Why? We gotta wonder sometimes, right? I'll ask God sometimes, why do you let the kid just die there? I mean, you could have taken him to heaven, you know, you could have saved him, but you know, why do you have to have him live on, have him have 12 kids that then caused problems since then to many, many people themselves and all around and still today, uh, oppression. I mean, you know, again, these countries, women walking around in heat of, of the Middle East and it's summertime with just black clad, no breath, no breathing, just unbelievable. Can't drive, not allowed to drive, and so much other oppression, and multiple wives, and so many other things that, uh, that go along with that. But uh, God's allowed it, and it is what it is, right? And so, because we'll find out in eternity. But it all started here. This is where it started. So then a little bit more that goes on with Abraham, Ishmael rather, he's mentioned three other times that I know of in the Bible. Uh, one, when Abraham, in Genesis 25, verse 8, Abraham breathed his last and died. His son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Machpelah is where Sarah was buried. So the two of them come together, and we'll revisit that when we get to Abraham's death. But yeah, it's amazing then Isaac and Ishmael come together. And I think that's powerful. And again, there'll be a message there for us when we get there. And then in Genesis 28, verse 9, Esau went to Ishmael and took Malah, uh, Malah, whatever, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. And so, uh, so Ishmael had daughters, so he had the 12 sons, and then he had daughters as well. And it's interesting that Esau goes and takes one of them for his daughter, uh, what was Esau known as? What, what, what was his profession? Tent maker. No, not tent maker. What was he doing in the story that we have of him? Hunter. Hunter, right, exactly. He was a hunter. And what did we just read about Ishmael? What did he become? Archer. Archer, right, exactly. So the two of them had a lot in common, right? So they, they worked with weapons and, and, and bows and arrows. And, and uh, so they had a lot in common. And then they... Uh, share 
uh, become relatives in this way too, in, uh, in having Ishmael's daughter for Esau's wife. And so they're cousins, and they're second cousins, or however the marriage was, um, but they arranged this marriage together. And then the next time is also in Genesis, Genesis 37, verse 28. The brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So the Ishmaelites still had their connections with Egypt, and even though living outside of Egypt, going back and forth and trading, and that's where they pick up Joseph, take him to Egypt. And so, and so a few more times we'll see uh, Ishmael and his descendants uh, mentioned in the Bible. But none of that is really significant. I mean, the story is very interesting and important for us to know. But there is now some real deep significance to this whole story for us. Because in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. And he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. So it's a true story. It's a real story. There was a real Hagar. There was a real Ishmael. There was a real Sarah. There was a real Isaac from miraculous birth. And there was this time where he scoffs at the child and, and uh, Sarah kicks the bond woman and son, her son out. That's a real story. But here it's also telling not only is it a true story and a real story, it also has symbolic meaning for us today very important symbolic meaning for us today. So one is a bondwoman, so a slave woman. The other one is free, right? So the bondwoman is Hagar. The free woman is Sarah. One who is the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Ishmael was born because of the fleshly lusts and fleshly desires and fleshly uh, not only uh, sexual desires so much as a desire for a son, to want to have a son at whatever cost, whatever it would mean, even breaking God's law to do so. And he of the free woman, Isaac, through promise. God promised, and God miraculously brings Isaac on the scene. So we have these two women and these two children. One's a bondwoman, one's a free woman, one is a son of sin, and one is a son of the promise. And these things are symbolic, having to do with our salvation. And so there's four ways that uh, salvation is taught, or not so much taught as lived out. Right? So one is no salvation, no law. And so those are the ones, uh, basically your atheists um, or agnostics, that they don't believe there's a God, there's no need of salvation, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no sin, and so there's no law, there's no need for God's law, and so they don't follow any God's law, they don't think about it, they disregard it, it has no meaning to them, and uh, sin has no meaning to them, the concept of sin, needing of forgiveness has no meaning to them, no concept, no interest on their part. And two, salvation with no law. And that uh, a lot of um, Christianity has that concept that, that they're saved by grace and then there's no need for the law. And we're going to get into that whole topic next week, seven days from now. Um, but this, or two weeks rather, two weeks from now. Um, this salvation but no need of law. So those need of salvation from sin, but we don't need the law. And they may not teach it that way directly, but that's how basically it's lived out. That the law is old, the law is done away with, and, uh, and so while they wouldn't teach it's okay now to kill, or that it's okay to commit adultery, but in essence they'll say still there's no law. So there's certain laws that they don't like, and those are the ones that don't apply anymore. Right? So no law, we're just saved by forgiveness, we're just saved by grace. Um, and this interpretation of grace, but just this kind of, just Cheap grace, as it's also become known as, uh, just free and, uh, and just no obedience necessary. 
just continue to ask for forgiveness. And it's also in Judaism as well, in a different way. Uh, Judaism, modern Judaism doesn't have the concept of sin and salvation uh, in the same way as Christianity does, but there is kind of this, and again, it's not really taught, but more just lived out, where, well, just everybody goes to heaven. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it's just, there's, there's, uh, there's always a better place. Everyone goes to a better place, and so, but there, uh, and then there are those within Judaism who don't believe in the law, or they may believe in the law, but they don't practice it, right? Because, hey, well, we're going to heaven anyway, right? So there's really not a whole lot of thought, um, and so they may do the holidays or whatever, uh, but it's not lived out in their life of keeping the law. So the lived out in their life is no law, but the concept of when we die, we must go to a better place because God is God and there is love, and so there must be. And so it's this kind of this salvation idea, but no obedience necessary. Then three is obedience to the law that brings about salvation. And so you have uh, Judaism has a, a segment that tries real hard to keep the law and thus in keeping the law, it's not again so much for salvation because that concept is not really in modern Judaism, but keeping the law is something that's necessary and we have to do and it pleases God and it will help to bring Mashiach and, 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 and better the world and make the world a great place by our obedience. And that's something that we have to do. So the obedience is a high focus, but it's really in, in, in Christianity uh, as well in that, um, and really, uh, all false religions, um, so Christianity, not biblical Christianity, or biblical Judaism, but, uh, but uh, religious basically teach it too. Even if it's just, well, we don't have to keep the law, but we have to pray, and we have to read the Bible. Well, then we still have to do something. So it's still obedience that brings about the salvation. Or could be. Uh, you can't be obedient if you're not following the law. Rosary beads or, or uh, penances or Hail Marys, or it could be um, uh, like in uh, Islam, uh, a lot of rules that need to be done to appease God, uh, or Buddhism, or all these different religions um, will have obedience to appease God as central to the teaching or to the life, uh, whether it's uh, bringing all kinds of offering to the fetishes and, and to, the, to the temples of the, of the various different gods of Islam, of, of uh, Hinduism. Uh, so all these uh, religions have this works, this, this obedience that then makes God happy, which then elevates us to being accepted by God. And so that's number three. And then number four is salvation that is freely given to us that brings about obedience. And well, that seems to make sense and might everybody just agree it is a nice simple sentence and that makes sense, but again, how is it lived out? That's the key. Not so much what is believed or what is taught, but what is lived out in our practical lives. Which one of these is really being lived out in my life? Which one of these is being lived out in each of our lives on a daily basis? Not which one will look off and say, well, this one, is obviously the right choice in the multiple choice, but how are we living? Not so much what are we thinking, but which one of these is being played out in our daily, day-to-day -day lives? Are we living in salvation, it's bringing about obedience, or are we trying to obey, even just by reading and praying um, to make God happy? or? Or are we just not obeying, but think we're okay with God, even though we're not obeying? Or do we just not obey or not believe in God at all? And I think that, that wouldn't apply to anyone who showed up here tonight. But the other three uh, very well could. All right, so let's see how this plays out with Ishmael and Isaac, the bondwoman, Hagar, and with Sarah in Galatians. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 24. These are the two covenants the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. 
But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. Okay, so two covenants. One represented by Hagar, one represented by Sarah. One represented by Ishmael, one represented by Isaac. One represented by Mount Sinai and Jerusalem in the day when Galatians was written. And the other, the new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above. So we have two women, two sons, and two cities. Okay. So this Mount Sinai, it says here in Mount Sinai in Arabia, not in the Sinai Peninsula, right? So that's a whole other thing. So uh, that's not, I don't believe that, uh, that uh, uh, we're, whatever her name, I think uh, Catherine's Cathedral or whatever the mountain, whatever there in, in, in Saudi, in, in, uh, Mount, in Sinai Peninsula is the place of Mount Sinai. Here, Paul says it was, it's in Arabia which would correspond more today with uh, Saudi Arabia. But that's, again, a whole other discussion and interesting thing, lots of nice, interesting videos on that. But what Mount Sinai, what happened on Mount Sinai? What is Mount Sinai known for biblically? The receiving of the law. Moses going up on Mount Sinai and receiving the Ten Commandments. Well, is that a good thing or not a good thing? It's a good thing, right? Paul even says, the Paul, the writer of this Galatians says, the law is good, right? And just and right and holy. But here he's saying Mount Sinai is like Hagar, a bondwoman, and also Jerusalem at that time. So that's kind of negative. Right? But it's the Jerusalem above, that's the free one. But Mount Sinai is not free, represented by the bondwoman. So this is where some people will jump to the conclusion falsely that, oh, so the law is bad. See, the law is the bondwoman, and the law is what needs to be thrown away because get rid of the bondwoman, cast out the bondwoman. And that's Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is associated with the Ten Commandments. But that is an erroneous, as we'll see. First of all, it doesn't make sense at all. Who wrote the Ten Commandments? God. So does God write something just to throw it away? <laughs> and what did he write it on? On stone, right? And we say written in stone, right? It means it's permanent, right? He blazed it with his own finger. Yeah, it's permanent, right? So obviously, so it wouldn't make sense that God would write this and then throw it away. And the Bible says he does not change. And, Yeshua said, not one jot nor one tittle will uh, depart from the law until all things are fulfilled. So, obviously, that doesn't, wouldn't make sense. That's the law that's thrown away. So what is it? That is the bond, servant, bondage. So we get these two covenants. So what are these two covenants? This is where a great mistake comes when people call the first part of the Bible the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the second part the New Covenant or New Testament. Again, they're applying this misunderstanding of what are the two covenants. If the old is old and done away and throw it away, then again, that's how it's lived out in their lives. No need for all of that. And the whole Bible, all the Bible, all the scripture is inspired by God and given for our instruction. So again, that wouldn't make sense. So then what are these two covenants if one of them is not the Ten Commandments and one of them is not the first part of the Bible? Then what is the covenants? Well, for one thing, we already have one covenant already given in Abraham's day that he would make through Isaac a great nation. And that's the whole concept that's being talked about here. And he's talking about these covenants in relation to Hagar and Sarah. So the covenants were there even before Mount Sinai. It's just that Mount Sinai was a representation of it. And again, not the giving of the law. We'll see there's something else that happened on Mount Sinai or at Mount Sinai that is that other covenant, not the Ten Commandments. But again, these go back to, these two covenants go back really all the way to the beginning of time. They go back to Adam and Eve. 
But we already see them in existence here in this section, replying to Hagar and Sarah. So way before Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments. So let's take a look. What are these two covenants? In Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. What is that the first line of? Exodus chapter 20. The Ten Commandments. Right? is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Right? So the first commandment is not, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, slavery, bondwoman, brought you out of that, you shall have no other gods before me. So who's making this statement? God. And he's making it on Mount Sinai. Um, and then he goes and writes it with his finger on the stone tablets. Existed long before that, but this is when God wrote it down for us. Existed from the very beginning. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Were we able to get out of Egypt in our own strength? No. If we could have, we would have, right? <laughs> you know? But we couldn't. And so God says, I am the one who brought you out. I am the power source. I promise you, you shall have no need of any other gods. I am the God above all gods. I will meet all your needs according to your riches, to my riches in glory. Right? You will need no one else. You'll not have to put anyone else before me, nothing else before me. I'm top dog. I'm all you'll ever need. That's his promise to us. And all the Ten Commandments are his promises to us. That's part of that covenant. Goes back again to Abraham, goes back to the very beginning. God promising. I am the one who did these things. And just like you couldn't get out of Egypt in your own strength, you can't keep these Ten Commandments in your own strength. But I am the God of the miraculous. I am the God who's all-powerful. I am the God who's able to part the Red Sea. I am the God who's able to bring the plagues. I am the God who's able to bring you through on dry ground and into the Promised Land. I am that God, and I am the God who will give you love for your parents, that you'll honor them. I am the God who will provide your needs that you won't have to steal from anyone else. I am the God who will give you love for your neighbor and even your enemies that you won't murder them. I am the God who will give you contentment that you won't covet anything. I am the God who will provide a good job for you so that you won't have to break my Sabbath. I am the God who, who loves you so much that I want to spend time with you and you'll want to spend time with me. I am the God who will do all these things and thus all the commandments will be fulfilled in your life because I will be living in you. So that salvation that comes from God that brings about obedience. That's free. That comes from heaven. God spoke down from heaven and brought his commandments, came down on the mount and delivered his promise, his covenant. Right? That's another word for covenant, is promise. God covenanted, God promised. I will do all these things for you. I am the deliverer. I am the creator I'm the one who brought you out of bondage, and I'll bring you out of the bondage of sin. He is that great God. That's one covenant, but there are two covenants. So when God spoke these words from the mountain, prior to Moses going up on the mountain, God spoke it, and everyone heard it. The people said in Exodus 19, verse 8, all the people answered together, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Moses brought to the Lord the words of the people. Who said, we will do? The people. Who's making the promise that we will keep your laws? The people. How long did that promise last? 
<laughs> not even a few days, right? Not even a few weeks, right? But all that you do, all that you say, we will do. That is the old covenant. That is the promise of humanity to be better next time, to be better next year. New Year resolutions. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to give up that habit. I'm going to not stop doing that thing. I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be better. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to get this education. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to get out of debt. I am going to. I, I, I am going to. That's the old covenant. That is bondage because we have no power to do what we would like to do. Our motives might be right. Our intent might be right. But we're in bondage to our carnal nature and cannot fulfill the requirements of the law. And so then just by showing the law, it just puts us into further bondage. Right? If a person's in jail, uh, for stealing, and they were guilty, and they confessed, and they, you know, it wasn't a false arrest or anything like that. They were tried, and it was proven, and they actually confessed, whatever it was. They were guilty. They knew they were guilty, right? And so you go to visit them, and you say, you know, the law says you shall not steal. Does that help them out? <laughs> no, it didn't help them out at all, right? Just adding more guilt to them. They already know. They already confessed it. So the law can't help us get out of jail. The law just shows us right from wrong. But the law is still good. It has its purpose. And so we certainly don't want to throw it away. But it can't help us. Nor do we have the power in ourselves because our hearts are carnal and we are naturally born with enmity towards God and cannot do good works. All our good works is nothing but filthy rags. There are none that good, there are none that are good, none that do good, none. All are corrupt, all are fallen. So when we make promises to God, that is the old covenant. And so when you're singing a song, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, I'll be there, me, 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 I will be there. That's Peter. I won't deny you, even if everyone else denies you, I won't deny you. How long did that last? No. And so when I say, you know, we need to serve God, amen, amen, I will. <laughs> the I wills is old covenant. It's our own promises. No, we should be saying, by God's grace. Only by God's grace. By God's power. Only with God's help. Only by God transforming me. Only by God changing me. Not me, but him. Right? That's why, I'm, by God's grace, I try to remember never to... Just preach on my own. Preach. But God, you've got to preach through me. And it's got to be all God. Everything. Driving a car, changing a light bulb, whatever. It's got to be God. We can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. But when we think we can, then that shows we really can't. Paul said, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Because then we're relying on God. So the whole statement, God helps those that help themselves, that is legalism. <laughs> that is works. That is bondage. God doesn't help those who help themselves because we can't help ourselves. <laughs> so that puts us first. Oh, if we're helping, we're trying, then God's going to step in and give us that last push. No, we can't even get up. We can't do anything. It has to be all God from beginning to end. Not just he saves us and then we got to do the works on our own. No, all through. It's him. All through. He got us out of Egypt. And he brought us to Mount Sinai. He brings us through. It's all him. So these are the two covenants right there. God's promises, I brought you out of Egypt. I can bring you out of sin. I can do anything. I am the God of the miracles. I created you. I am the great God. No other gods before me. I am the one. 
It's the only. That's God's covenant. And then our covenant, God didn't ask for a promise. God didn't say, sign here on the dotted line that you're going to be good. They voluntarily said that. God didn't ask you, who's, okay, who's going to do, who's going to obey these laws? He didn't ask that. He told them, I'm going to do all these things through you. I'm going to do all these things for you. And they said, we got it. <laughs> we can handle it. And again, that didn't work out. That's it. Those are the two covenants. This is so key. Because we might be living in the new covenant, and the, really the new covenant's older than the old covenant. <laughs> Just renewed. goes all the way back to God creating. Okay? The old covenant is Adam trying to do it in his own way. The old covenant is Abraham trying to produce a son in his own way. Old covenant is Cain bringing an offering to God. Those are all old covenant, everything. What we try and do in our own strength is old covenant. So it's even around today. <laughs> Just because it's old doesn't mean it's not still around today. It's still around. And so we might be living today trusting in God. And then tomorrow you try and try and change a light bulb on your own. And it breaks in your hand, and now you're stuck, and then you get pliers, and you try and get it out on your own, and then you electric <laughs> get electrocuted, you know, and you flat on the on the floor. Right? So when we try to do it in our own strength, right? So it could be anything. Even praying. We don't even have the ability to pray. And scriptures say that God has to take our prayers and mold them. So it's trusting in God. God, pray through me. God, give me a love for your word. Give me understanding of your word. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I can't even understand your word. That's why you pray before you read the word of God. Submissive prayer. Lord, I, I, I need you to give me understanding. Understanding comes from you. Wisdom comes from you. Discernment comes from you. Give me discernment to discern your word. See, everything dependent on God. Everything dependent on upon God. That's where we need to be. And then God provided. And so at any point, we can be living out bondage, old covenant, I will do. I will do better. So back to Galatians 4, verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. And so Ishmael of the bond woman, of the slave woman, not of the promise, he's jealous and he goes mocking and scoffing. And so Paul says, even today, those who are under bondage persecute those who are living according to the flesh. And that's true today. When we're living righteous lives and we're living holy lives, we see it through the Bible. Those who are living godly lives were hated by those who are trying very hard to be good. Misery loves company. And when we're trying to obey God in our own strength, that is misery. Misery. And you can see it in people's faces in their lives. They're trying to be good and they're not happy. Right? That's not freedom. They're doing it in their own strength. And that's the difference. And so then, when we're in legalism, and again, legalism is not obedience. Right? Yeshua was perfectly obedient. Was he a legalist? No, he wasn't a legalist, but he was without sin. Did he obey all the Ten Commandments? Yes. Was he a legalist? No. People say, oh, you're trying to take the Ten Commandments, you're a legalist. Well, then Yeshua was the greatest legalist. <laughs> if that's your definition, that's not what legalism is. Legalism is trying to obey God in our own strength. Again, that whole Old Covenant self-promise. Because we can't. And that's legalism. And so again, it can be no laws at all. Just read your Bible, show up at services, give an offering, and pray. That's all that's required. That's legalism if we try and do that in our own strength. Even just that. That's still legalism. Or even just, just obey. You don't even have to come to service. You don't even have to give an offering. Just, just believe. 
And if we're believing in our own power and our own strength, right? I believe, help my unbelief. We don't even have the power to believe. God has given us a measure of faith. So where did faith come from? Where did belief come from? It starts with God. So God gives us the ability. He gives us the gift of repentance. He gives us... All comes from God. And so he gives us faith, and then he'll add to faith as we ask for more. And so it's still all God. And so even if it's just have faith, just believe, that's all you need, just one requirement, that's all you need. If that is without God, if it's just you doing it, you believing, that's legalism. That's bondage. That's Old Covenant. But if we're filled with God's Spirit, there's no limit to the obedience that God will do through us. And it'll be done joyfully. And it makes all the difference in the world. It's like the difference between pushing a motorcycle up a hill on a hot day or getting in the back of a motorcycle and letting God ride the motorcycle up the hill. Right? One, you're sweating and pushing. and uh, You might make it to the top of the hill, but you're in misery. Right? Like watching people run these marathons. They are in misery. <laughs> I mean, that, they must hate themselves. I tell you, I don't know why anyone would do that. <laughs> you know, whatever, you're pushing that motorcycle. But you get in the back of the motorcycle with God riding it, and you're just cruising. You got bugs in your teeth. You don't care. You know, you're just happy. You're smiling. You know, and just hair, hair blowing in the wind. And you're just enjoying it. You know, you can jump off. You can push him off. You know, or you can just sit back and enjoy the ride. Right? That's the difference. Him powering us, him moving us forward. Verse th- Galatians 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So cast out the bondwoman, cast out your own works, cast out trying. Stop trying and let God. Let the Holy Spirit live in you. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. Get rid of the bondwoman and her servant, son, just sin. Get rid of them. It works. Our own works. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burns with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest. The sound of the trumpet and of the words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. If so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. So terrified was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. That's right, so now we're in Hebrews, and it's saying basically the same thing in Galatians. Right, this Mount Sinai. We've not come to that mountain. We've not come there. Verse 22, Hebrews 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly of the congregation of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of just men made perfect, to Yeshua, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that sprinkles better things than that of Abel. So again, God, God's power, the Holy Spirit, all about him. So, in practicality, okay, you're driving down the road. Anyone ever hear this kind of analogy in a, in a sermon somewhere where a person's driving down the road, they get pulled over, they get a ticket, and, and then the, um, the, the uh, police officer gives them a warning, shows them grace, and lets them go free. And they go driving away. Ever hear that kind of analogy? Oh, that's, that's God's grace. That's a demonstration of God's grace. See some nodding heads, right? You've heard that analogy. It's kind of popular analogy. It's totally wrong. It's totally erroneous. Totally. But let's take a look at our four things again and look at each one of them with the analogy of getting pulled over by an officer. So we're going to come back to number one. We're going to go out of order. We're going to start with number two, because that's what's popularly taught. Salvation with no law. 
So in that scenario, like I just illustrated, right? So the police officer pulls the person over, they were speeding. Police officer pulls them over. Police officer goes and takes their driver's license and information, looks it all up. But the person pleads for mercy and the police officer says, okay, I'll have mercy. I'll let you go this time. And they're scot-free. Right? So they've broken the law. There's no punishment. They're just forgiven. And then they go on obediently. And sometimes people add to the sermon. So then do you just flaw the, uh, hit the floor, hit the pedal to the floor and just zip away and zoom away speeding down that you were given off? No, right now, now you go driving carefully and obediently. And what is that? What is that? They're driving now obediently? Obedience. Obedience? What kind of obedience? Works. Very good. That's bondage. Because <laughs> they're doing it. Now they're being, because now they're fearful they might get a ticket. Oh no, he's not going to be merciful next time. And so now they're driving. And so now it's works. So it's this salvation with no law. There's no law. He didn't give me a penalty. No, just forgiveness. But we still got to be good anyway. You know, somewhat good, whatever in some way, shape, or form, whether that's, again, just praying or just believing or whatever the just is, and there'll be something more, right? You know, so there's always just this, but then that. That still works. That's salvation with no law. That's really what's taught. This just free, free forgiveness. So just keep on going and disobeying. Just do better. Try harder, but you, we know you're going to fall. We know you're going to disobey, but just do, do the best you can. Drive as safely as you can, and if you go over a little again a little bit, eh, there'll be forgiveness again. Maybe another cop will let you off again, right? Uh, that's just this mercy, mercy. No real law, no need to obey, but just try to obey. Try and stay within the lines. And that's basically what's taught. Maybe not as blatant as that, but that's what's lived out. So again, that's wrong. So the officer rips up the ticket, right? You're good to go. You're forgiven. Just forgive it. No law. Disobedience doesn't matter. It's all taken care of. Okay, so now let's look at number one. No law, no salvation, no law. So in that scenario, person speeding, gets pulled over by the police officer. Police officer asks for their driver's license, gives them a ticket, and the person just rips up the ticket and throws it away. <laughs> right? I don't have to obey. There's no, I don't need your help. I don't need your mercy. I don't need your ticket. I don't obey laws. There's no laws. Nothing matters to me. I don't care. Right? And that's how they live their lives, right? Spiritually. Right? Disregard of God as judge, disregard God's laws, and just rip it all to pieces. Okay, so now obedience to the law that brings salvation. Okay? So trying to obey in order to be good. So this person doesn't get pulled over because they drive 20 miles under the speed limit, even when the speed limit's only 35 miles an hour. <laughs> 25 miles an hour, they're 20 miles under, you know, going five miles down the road, very, very carefully, obediently, unhappy as could be, late for everything, you know, uh, everybody behind them is in misery too, and they've been making everyone else miserable too, and everybody else better go slow too, and everyone gonna be careful, be careful, right? and trying, trying very hard not to break the law. Right? So that's obedience, that's trying to keep me from getting a ticket, obedient to keep me from going to hell. I'm going to be good, I'm going to try to be as good as I can. Right? So now, the true one. Salvation that brings about obedience. This person's speeding, they get pulled over by a police officer. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The police officer writes the ticket because they were lawbreakers. And that's what happens to lawbreakers. There's a law and there's a punishment for breaking the law. Biblically, that's how it should be. That's how it is, biblically. Right? We break the law. The law stands there in opposition to us. The law is made of stone. It cannot bend. 
It cannot give in, it cannot melt away, it cannot be ripped up, it can be broken, but it still stands. God writes it again. Law remains. And so a ticket is written. And so when we sin, it's written in the books of heaven. It's there. It's not just forgiven. It's there. But, in this case, the police officer goes down to the courthouse and pays the ticket for you out of his own pocket. Yeshua died for us, paying the price for us that we deserve. Maybe the judge chipped in too, right? Because the lawgiver and the Congress, right? Out of their own pockets, not out of taxpayer money, right? But uh, the law writer, the lawgiver uh, pays the price, right? Yeshua paid the price for us. But that doesn't take us off the hook, does it? Because not only did Yeshua pay a price, do we have to pay a price for sin? In light of Yeshua dying for us? Did he pay it all? All? We don't have to pay anything? Nothing? Paul said, I die daily. It does cost us. We have to give up the sins. We have to give up the carnal nature. We have to die to self. It costs us our lives. Our carnal lives. We died in him. He didn't die alone. We died in him. So, the police officer takes our driver's license and shreds it <laughs> and rips it to pieces. We have lost the privilege of being able to drive, right? You're not allowed to drive anymore. You've lost that life source, right? So, I mean, we could have him kill him, but you know, for our analogy here, all he does is rip up the ticket, or the driver's license, right? So now you can't drive anymore. You're incapable of driving, not allowed to drive. You've lost that privilege because you are a lawbreaker. But, not over yet. So he rips up the ticket, gives it, right? <laughs> Shreds it. But the police officer then tells you to move over and the police officer gets into your car and the police officer drives you wherever you want to go. <laughs> and now he's not driving as a police officer. He's driving as your special security secret service uh, chauffeur, chauffeur, right? <laughs> so far, right? So far. <laughs> uh, right? So, so here, the price was paid, the penalty, right? The sin was done, ticket was still written, the price was still paid by the police officer, by Yeshua. We still had to pay a price. We died to sin, we lose the driver's license. But then God takes control, takes over the car, and we can still push him out, we can still jump out the passenger seat, right? we're not in the back of the police car, we're in our car, in the passenger seat, enjoying the ride, looking at the trees as we go by on the road, he's doing all the work, he's driving, but we still need to stay on the car, <laughs> we need to stay with him, not rebel, not jump out, not kick him in the head, right? stay with him, and ride with him, so we still have choice, we still have free choice, but he's driving, and again, not as the end of the Police officer watching over us, but now he's our servant, serving us, protecting us, and driving us wherever we need to go, wherever we want to go. And then we're safe, right? Because he's the greatest driver there ever is. Right? So, you like that? Was that make more sense, right? That's the whole fullness of the whole scriptures, right? Not just, well, you're just forgiven, and you just go, oh, wait, no, that's not the gospel. The full gospel is the price paid on both parts. And sin still stands, the law still stands, and then it's Yeshua keeping the law, him driving obediently to the speed limit, staying within the lines, right? But it's him doing it, we're just going along for the ride. So, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for we're not children of the bondwoman, but free. We're now free. Free to disobey? No, we're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from guilt. We're free from uh, habits. We're free from the carnal nature. 
We're free now to be obedient. Before we were free, we were in bondage and we could not obey. We could try real hard and we would fail and fail and fail. But now we're set free. The, bond, the, the shekels are loosed. Not so that we don't have to obey, but now so that we can obey through his power, through his grace. So get rid of the bondwoman, whatever it has been in your life. Whether it's the trying to obey in your own strength of whatever it's been, whatever laws there are, if it's been a burden, if you're not a cheerful giver, but you're still just giving, then you're doing it legalistically, then you're doing it in your own strength. When God does it through us, it's cheerful. It's all down to the motives. And more than the motives, it's all the power. Our power or God's power? That's what it comes down to. Where is the provision? So cast out the bondwoman, every attempt at earning our salvation, and her son, get rid of the son as well, all the sinful habits, the flesh, the works of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Get rid of it all. Confess it and allow Yeshua to pay the price and die with it. For we are not children of the bondwoman, self-works, but are free, free from sinning through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're now free, free in the Lord, walking in his light, walking in his ways, walking in his truth. And the joy of the Lord will be our strength. There's joy in joyful obedience, in God-powered obedience. It makes all the difference in the world. Walk in the salvation provided for us by the death of Messiah that brings about obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. That encapsulates the gospel right there. So the two covenants, the bondwoman, the free woman, the bond servant, the son, the son of the flesh, the son of promise. God promised us. He, you will be perfect. You will be holy. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And say, try real hard to be holy. No, you will be holy. Why will you be holy? Because I am the Lord your God, am holy. I am the Lord your God that sanctifies you. I'm quoting from the Torah. This again is new covenant talk. It goes all the way back. It's older <laughs> from the beginning. It's God's promises. God sanctifies us. God lives in us and through us. That's the freedom we're in. That's the heavenly Jerusalem. Not the I wills of the old covenant. And so as we pray together, if you've in mind or in action, and I'm living in any one of those other three, just think, well, you're going to go to heaven anyway just because God's so merciful and loving, even if you obey or don't obey. Or if you have believed, well, just forgiven, I just keep confessing, that's God's plan for us, is just to be obedient, disobedient and confess, disobedient, confess, disobedient, confess. He's just a, a, a merciful uh, roller coaster, revolving, whatever, round and round. And if that's been your experience, maybe not, again, your thought, but maybe in your life, struggling with the same sin over and over and over again, cast out the bondwoman then. Get rid of it. Confess it to the Lord. Or have you been living, trying to obey and finding it hard? God's ways are not difficult. His yoke is easy. Again, ride on the back of the motorcycle. It's not hard. It's joyful. Go along for the ride with him. But if you've been trying, if you've been pushing the motorcycle, if you've been trying to be obedient and you're not happy doing it, if you're not cheerful, if you're not joyful, then that's a sign. But you're trying real hard to be obedient. 
That's a sign that you're doing it in your own strength. Confess it. Get rid of the bondwoman. Get rid of self. And if that applies to any area of your life. Maybe you're joyful in some areas, obedient in some areas, but there's one area where you're still trying to do it in your own strength. Get rid of the bondwoman and her son and stop trying to obey in your own strength. Confess the sin, be forgiven through the Messiah, and accept the power of the Holy Spirit to give you obedience and walk in his light. Walk in his salvation. That saves us from the punishment of sin as well as saves us from the power of sin. Delivers us for the future and from the past and delivers us in the present. Leads us not into temptation, but delivers us from evil. Experience his deliverance. Experience his true salvation. Salvation from sinning. Let us pray. Our Lord, our God, thank you that you are merciful and gracious and powerful. Thank you, Lord, your ways are just and your laws are just. Thank you for paying the punishment for us. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for sending forth your spirit to live in us and out of us. We accept our death in you, the crucifixion of self. Now live in us, rebirth us, resurrect in us a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit, and live in us and out of us for your honor and your glory in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.